Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 10 to 20 of Philippians chapter 4. It says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you are also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now, you know, Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all, and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now on. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The title of this tonight is simply Faith Promise Giving and Receiving. Giving and Receiving. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege is ours to meet together here in this place. Thank you for uh, each one that's come. And I pray that if we look into your word that we've been encouraged and challenged. And in this matter, uh, as we continue the thought of, of Faith Promise Giving, and to see the blessings and the obedience that it is for us to participate. So, Lord, just speak to our hearts and encourage us. And thank you for the privilege and opportunity we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight what I'm just going to do is share some things about receiving and giving from this chapter. I don't know where I got this. this some of this is my own, some of it's not. But anyway... But, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, so nothing I'm going to say is new. If it's, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new, as the still saying. But anyway, some thoughts about receiving, first of all. Uh, there's appreciation known and stated for the receiving in verse 10. He says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. So he was thankful. You know, he stated and appreciated, and he stated it. But, you know, but really the matter is, nobody owes you anything. Now what I mean by that is, the missionaries don't owe us a thank you letter. We are commanded to give it. And you know, so we're not really owed a thank you for our mission giving. Do you write your employer? You guys, you work, or you ladies, if you work someplace, do you write your employer's thank you notes? It'd be the same thing. Um, you know, we are simply obeying the command of God and giving us in the Great Commission. So we're not owed anything from the missionary for what we give to them. You know, I, I thought this, you know, Bob, Bob Mitchell doesn't owe us anything for the love gift we gave him. We call it a gift, but really, he... He rendered us a benefit. He ministered to us. So we're simply commanded by God, as we'll see later later on, to return that, uh, that in financial gifts and in, in helping to supply his needs. 
But the appreciation is known and stated here. But secondly, you know, uh, he was rejoicing the Lord for what he was doing in the in the um, in the Philippian believers. We notice again in verse ten, he says, "But I rejoice the Lord greatly that now at your last have care, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity." So he was rejoicing. You know, Paul was rejoicing in what the Lord was doing with the Philippians, which was which was evident through their giving. You know, so this was some evidence that the Lord was working in the Philippian believers. And in fact, they were the, one of the first churches and one of the uh, most well-known for giving to Paul's need. Uh, and, and notice thirdly, as we think about receiving, the sacrifice in giving is to God. Notice verse 19. Um, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I don't think I got the wrong verse there. Um, but uh, let's read verse 20. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, so the sacrifice in giving really is in our giving to God. You know, Think of it this way. It is not to or for the missionary. He's just the, simply the person that the Lord is using to take the Lord's message to another place. So it really isn't for him. It's for the Lord. So our giving, we shouldn't think of our giving in faith promise as, well, we're given to, to, to Pastor Bob Mitchell and we're given to, to Brother Gary Forney and we're given to Andy Bishop and Evan Francis. No, we're giving, it's to the Lord. It's for the Lord's work. It's for the Lord's work. So our sacrifice and giving is to God. Uh, and so we need to remember that in our giving. So that's just some things about receiving. All right, some encouragement for giving to faith promise. First of all, it starts in the heart and the mind. Notice verse 10, it says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you are also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Notice that he says, Your care of me. And, you know, as we think about uh, this idea of giving or this giving for care for the missionary, there's three things I want to mention here. First of all, they went out for his namesake. Um, and, 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 and being that they are servants of the Lord, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 commands us, uh, that we ought to support such. First Corinthians chapter nine verse seven says, "Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man? Or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the, mo- the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes?" For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap of your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about the holy things live of the, holy, live of the things of the temple? And they which weigh at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained 
that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So, you know, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. He says, look, those who have gone out and given you the gospel, you should be supporting. They rendered to you spiritual things. You need to render to them physical things. Or he uses the word carnal things. He's not talking about worldly things when he uses the word carnal there. He's talking about the physical needs of this world. Uh, you know, and he did say, he did admit, I didn't, I didn't take advantage of that when I was with you so that, that my ministry wouldn't be discredited. But what he's saying is, it is right to do it. It is right to do it. God has ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. You know, 3 John 1, 7 says, because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. Um, <laughs> you know, I know there's, there's some churches that, that uh, take of the Gentiles. They, they sell things to the world to run their ministries. That's taking of the Gentiles. So, and when he's saying here, taking of the Gentiles, in other words, taking from lost people to supply, no, they shouldn't be taking from lost people. The Lord's people should provide for the Lord's work. You know, you've seen these, I'm sure, intersections every once in a while. There's be some church-sponsored beggars. That's what I call them, church-sponsored beggars. Church-sponsored beggars. I've been often tempted to pull up alongside with a dollar bill and say, What's the matter? Isn't your God big enough to supply your needs? You've got to beg from the crowd? Yeah, that wouldn't be a nice thing to say. But it just irks me a little bit that here these churches are out there begging from people to run their ministries. Um, and to me, it's a slap in the face of God and God's people. Uh, they're not being, obviously, not being obedient to command. Probably not God's people to start with. But anyway, that's another whole subject. But so it starts in heart and mind that you care of me. So they went out for his name's sake. It also enables the church to obey the, as I call it, the both command in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You know, you and I can't go to Taiwan. We can't go to, we can't, we can't go to Mexico. You know, God does expect all of us to do that. And, but we can do that partnering with missionaries so that it allows us to obey that command to take the gospel into the uttermost part of the earth. Uh, it also enlarges, of course, this goes along with that, our outreach to lost souls. You know, we're to pray, as Matthew 9.38 says, we're to pray that the Lord will send forth laborers into his harvest field. And uh, so it does enlarge, it enlarges our ministry. You know, our, our ministry isn't just here. You know, we, we're ministering the gospel through our missionaries in various parts of the world. So it greatly enlarges our ministry, but it does start in the heart and mind, you know, speaking about the care of him. Secondly, our giving, it is a communication or might call it a fellowshipping together or partnership uh, with others. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. Philippians chapter 1, verse 5 <clears throat> says, Paul says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And then look at chapter 4, verse 14. He says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So when he's talking about communicating here, he's talking about giving and receiving. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Ah. Uh, so it is a communication or it is a fellowshipping together 
or we would might better understand as a partnership. See, the church at Philippi, Philippi partnered with Paul by their giving to take the gospel to other places. Even in Thessalonica they sent. And, and, and so they began this very quickly. So they began to partner with Paul. You know, he talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4 also, um, where he says, Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So, so it's, a, it's a fellowshipping together or a partnering together. And, uh, of course, we, you know, we, don't, we don't have a missionary that we completely support. So what we're doing is we're partnering with other churches of like faith and, and uh, together with the missionary so that they can take the gospel to other places where we will never reach. So it is a, it is a communication or a partnership uh, 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 endeavor. Thirdly, it is a gift to the Lord's work. I sort of mentioned this already. It is a gift to the Lord's work. Verse 17, he says, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So it is a gift. And for a gift, somebody said for a gift, uh, you don't expect anything in return for yourself. Like I said, the missionary doesn't owe us anything. We just expect that they be faithful stewards of giving out the gospel. Yeah, they don't owe us anything. Uh, again, it, it is a gift to the Lord's work and not to them. So, so it's a gift of the Lord's work. Fourthly, it is a sacrifice. Now, verse 18 he says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So it is a sacrifice. A sacrifice is something that costs you. Somebody says to sacrifice is to believe that the benefit of giving is greater than keeping the gift. Unquote. Uh, a good example of a sacrifice is in 2 Samuel 24, 24, when, when David, you know, after he num- numbered the people and the, the Lord sent a plague, and, uh, and then uh, uh, he, he went up to Arana's threshing floor, and the Lord appeared there, him, to him there, and he said, you know, offer me here a sacrifice. And uh, he said, this is the, this is the Lord's house. And that's, and that's where they actually then built the temple. But, but so he said to Arana, uh, he asked him to buy it. And, and Arana, uh, and the king said unto Arana, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, my God, of that which cost, doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. So David said, I'm not going to offer a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. That's not a, that's not a sacrifice. If I don't, it doesn't cost me anything. So it is a sacrifice. It was a sacrifice for the Philippian believers to support Paul. We know that very clearly from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where he says they gave out of their deep poverty uh, and entreated us to, to receive the gift. So it was a sacrifice. Uh, 
And so we need to be willing to give that sacrifice, but it is a sacrifice that's well-pleasing. It was given through the, uh, through the church. Notice uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. Now notice this phrase. To all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. So he's addressing the whole church. Uh, and then he goes on in chapter 4, he talks about you Philippians and so on. So, so it, was, it was given through the church. The, the saints, that be, you know, I don't like the term, but lay people, and then the bishops or the pastors and deacons. All were involved in this uh, faith promise giving to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You know, they were one body, one faith, and, and one baptism is, is, is spoken of in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 4 through 6. So it was given through the church. You know, I believe we ought to give our giving through the church. It's a safe way to do it. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm like Brother Mitchell. I don't join anything but the church. I think all all these fellowships and and these uh, uh, conferences and 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 um, whatever you want to call them are are seeds of destruction. It's, they're just planting the seeds, uh, getting away from the local church. You, you think about it. Where did the Southern Baptist Convention come from? It came from uh, the Shewell Stearns church planning movement. You know, they began to have conferences and fell and then they broke up into fellowships and, and you know and, and that continued and the first thing you know you have what's called the Southern Baptist Convention and Northern Baptist Con- and, you know this, well it was first called I just think called the Baptist Convention and then it was the Southern and Northern you know it became a convention. And that's where all that came from. Um, they got away from the local church, the emphasis of the local church and relying solely on the local church. You know, organizing into fellowships and in schools and so on. Uh, so it was given through the church. Uh, it was well-doing. It is well-doing to give to the servants of the Lord. Verse 14. Now, he says this twice uh, in this passage. Verse 14 verse 18. He says, Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. It was well done. Uh, verse 18, but I have all in abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You know, it, it, he gives a picture here of a, an odor of a sweet smell, something that's pleasing. I think it was Monday night, I came home from working with Nathan, and I walked in the house, and I thought, and I said, Something smells good in here. You know, I thought it was a some kind of dessert with maybe chocolate in it or something like that, you know. But it was just a candle. Uh, I was really disappointed. But, but it was a sweet smell. It was something pleasing, you know. Uh, you know, this, this, uh, this giving, our giving to servants of the Lord is pleasing to the Lord. The Bible mentions this over and over. In fact, in 3 John... Chapter uh, verses five through seven, not chapter. Third John, the first chapter, verses five through seven. John says, "Beloved, 
Thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. Now, the word stranger here, you know, it's not talking about some somebody outside uh, the Christian faith. I believe it's those that traveled and ministered or missionaries or evangelists of that time. Evangelist really is a missionary, church planter, that, that uh, would, would visit different churches. Of course, they didn't have communication like we do today, so you, know, you didn't always know who was coming or you may not have known beforehand and so on. But So they were been, maybe been perfect strangers to them, but nevertheless, they were in the ministry, and John commends them for taking care of the brethren, ministering to them. He said it was well-doing. Uh, number seven, giving should begin immediately. You know, as soon as a person saved, baptized in the church. Notice verses 15 and 16. It says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but ye only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity. So they sent twice from Thessalonica to Thessalonica. Now if you go back to the book of Acts, and I think it's in Acts chapter 16 or 17, where it talks about him going to Philippi, and of course being arrested, put in jail, and all that, you know, and the uproar there at Philippi. And when he leaves there, you know where he goes? He goes to Thessalonica. So already, at this early point in time, when he's in Thessalonica, the church at Philippi is sending him money or things that he needed for the ministry uh, as he traveled. So they began immediately. Uh, and, and we should begin immediately. Uh, it's never too early to start giving, to start tithing and start uh, faith promise giving. Uh, if we have money, if we have a little income, we should be doing it. We should be doing it. All can give some. All can't give the same amount, but all can give some. So it should begin immediately. Uh, number eight, giving should be to those of sound doctrine and practice. Notice verse 15 again. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Now, mission giving is, a, as I said, the word communication here has the idea of partnering together to evangelize some other area of the world. And, you know, we ought to, we ought to endeavor to partner together with those, in fact, it just makes common sense, that you would partner together with those of like precious faith. You know, Peter, in 2 Peter 1, 1 says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the, Paul, of course, through the Holy Spirit, commanded the servants of the Lord to be sound in faith. To be sound in faith. That means to have, the idea there again is to have right doctrine and practice. Uh, in fact, look at three times, 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. When writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, and also Titus, 
who worked much with Paul. Uh, He commanded this. 2 Timothy 1.13, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which was in Jesus Christ. And then in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, in verse 5, he tells them, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. And then in verse 9 he says, this is a qualification, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. So he needs to have sound doctrine. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, Bespeak thou the things which become sound doctrine, the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. So he, he commands them to be sound or to ordain elders that are sound in the faith. The missionary is no different. They're, they're an elder. They're a pastor on a different field. They're just in a different place than I am. So, you know, any more than you would support a pastor who's unsigned in his doctrine, we shouldn't support a missionary who's unsigned in his doctrine. It just makes common sense. And we're not to support those of different doctrine and practice. Look at Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Romans 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. The idea is there to, is to identify, basically. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. So those that teach uh, uh, other, other doctrines that would cause division. For they that are such serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but, rat, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So, so we're not to support or partner together with those that teach different doctrine. You know, it's not a matter of, well, he's a nice guy, or he's, a fr- he's my friend. You know, if we remember, is, think about the third point I mentioned it, you know, we're not giving it to a person. It's to the Lord. It's to the Lord. We're giving it to the Lord. And, and so we want, we want to give it to, to the Lord's work so the Lord's work will be faithfully carried out. So it's not a personal matter. Uh, you know, I, I used to get, you know, when I was traveling... I'm in, in evangelism and and uh, and was getting mission support when we were in Maine and Canada. You, you often got questionnaires, which I didn't mind questionnaires. But one of them, one of them had a letter with it one time, which was which was I thought very well stated. And he, and he simply said this: He said, "This questionnaire is not to be considered a critique or criticism of your doctrinal beliefs, but simply to." To, to see to it that, that we support missionaries that agree with us. If you don't agree with us in some doctrine or practice, then we would encourage you to seek your mission support where they do agree with you. Now, that's very well stated. You know, if a person, if a missionary holds a different doctrine, that's his, that's his option. That's, that's his prerogative. But then 
they should seek their support from those who hold those kind of doctrines. Uh, so so, so we, we should seek to support those that we can rightly partner with and fellowship with, that agree with us in doctrine and in practice. You know, again, this, this just makes, to me, it just makes common sense. Uh, so so it, uh, we should support those, again, uh, those of sound doctrine and practice. And then number nine, our giving should continue even in the midst of problems. Now, we know what problems are. Every church has them. You know, if a church doesn't have them, you know, we often say, tell, we, you know, we've had people come here and say, you know, in the past that, you know, this, everything was just so great here. And I, I remember one of the, one of the ladies said, well, just don't join it then. You might ruin it. <laughs> yeah. Every church has problems because we've got people. And we, we people, we people have problems. Uh but even we should continue to give even in the midst of problems as this church at Philippi did. Notice in chapter 3, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you to say, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. You know, and he's talking about here, you need to beware of potential problems because they're going to come. And they had one. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. They had two women that couldn't get along. I beseech Yodius and I beseech Suntachi. No, Sintachi. Somebody called her Suntachi. Sintachi, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true Ruck, fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with men also and with the, uh, other fellow, my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So, so they had some problems, but even in the midst, they can, they, 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 it was a priority to fulfill the command that God had given them to give the faith promised missions, uh, which they gave to Paul in his travels. So give, giving should be continue, even in the midst of problems. It should be a priority in our lives to give, and a priority as a church. Uh, then, then number 10, giving results in fruit to the giving church. Notice verse 17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. See, it's fruit. It's not just the missionary's work. Any more than this is my work. We're body. And we have joined together any more than my head takes credit for everything the rest of my body does. It, it doesn't. Uh, although, you know, that's the command center, but it doesn't do everything. My hands and my feet. Uh, you know, and, and so uh, a missionary, you know, their, their uh, service is is really in partnership with our giving. So it is fruit that abounds. And that word abounds has the idea of, of abundance, overflowing. You know, think of it as a, as a you know, uh, what I did on Saturday, uh, was it, no, Sunday school on Sunday morning about 
all our missionaries and all the things that they, and the missionaries that are being supported by some of them. Some of them have started several churches, and you know, uh, Brother Bishop is one one of the churches he started is supporting thirteen missionaries. The second one is supporting, I think he said four. In uh, and, and you know, so so really that that is fruit that is abounding to our account. So there, there will be fruit. There will be people. There will be people in heaven because of the money and prayers that you gave and offered up on Judgment Day. That will be rewarded to your account. So giving results in fruit to the giving of church. He says that it may abound to your account. Number 11, giving it's an assurance that our needs will be met. Notice verse 19. You know, you know, it's, it's interesting, if you keep this in context, you know, there's two verses in this passage that are many times quoted out of context. Verse 13 and verse 19. People just like to quote them off the top of their head. You know, oh, yeah, my God will supply all your needs. You know, God will supply all your needs if you obey him. That's the idea here. Uh, it, but in, So if we are giving ourselves to the Lord... Our needs will be met. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now that doesn't mean it's not going to be all rosy. That's always going to be easy. That we're always going to have an abundance. In fact, look at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You know, Paul said, Paul's the one that's penning this, said, my God should supply all your needs. And he said, you know, I've always had my needs, but he said, sometimes it's been in abundance, and other times it was the cupboards were bare. And it might have been the ravens. Or it might have been the widow's oil and a little bit of meal, just day by day. We had no assurance of tomorrow. At one point, Paul said, we even despaired of life. But he made it through. You know, it may appear at times that, how are we going to make it? But our God is able to supply our needs, and we need to simply trust in him. You know, I wrote next to this verse, verse 19, I wrote next to this verse, 1 Kings 17, 19, and I wrote this. God did not fill the barrel. Just supplied a little bit for every day. That's all he did. Every day she went to the barrel and there's one meal in there. And she took of what was in there and made a meal. And the next day she went to the barrel and there was another meal in there. It, it never filled up. It's just there was some in there every day when she went. When she had a need, there was some in there. Oh, she wasn't partying and feeding the neighbors. Or, you know, or feasting. No, it was just enough to meet the need day by day. That's all. But it met the need. So... You know, so, you know, our problem is many times we get our wants and our needs mixed up. 
Yeah, we live, we live, you know, the poorest of us compared to much of the world are rich. We're rich. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand what it is to be in need. But, the, but our giving is an assurance that our needs will be met. And then lastly, number 12, giving to God's servants glorifies God. Again, verse 14, notwithstanding you have well done. You know, um, that was the wording that Jesus used to the one who invested the talents. He said, well done, thou faithful and good servant. Well done. Verse 20, now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, you know, it, giving always glorifies the Lord. You know, in Acts 20, 35, Paul said, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Hebrews 13, 16, but to do good and to communicate. Again, the idea of communication has the idea of, it means giving. To do good and communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. He's not just pleased, he's well pleased. So, faith promise giving demonstrates the grace of God working in your life. It is a sacrifice. God doesn't require it. You know, tithing, he says, tithe is mine. And if you don't give a tithe, you're robbing. You're a thief. He said, it's mine. But he says, the faith promise, we call it an offering. And he, and he desires that we give it. And in 2 Corinthians chapter, I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'll be finished here, but Second Corinthians, you know, it is, it does demonstrate the grace of God working in your life. And as it says here later on in this chapter, it proves the sincerity of the, your love to the Lord. But notice verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, Philippi was one of those, how that in great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality, where to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. He says the grace of God was evident on the churches of Macedonia. And how was it made evident? By their giving. By their giving. And so we need to make our faith promise giving a priority. It is pleasing to the Lord. It glorifies God. It enlarges. You know, Second Corinthians uses the word Second Corinthians chapter six talks about enlarging your coast. The idea is there is enlarging your usefulness. It enlarges your usefulness. And so, might God help us to give sacrificially to the Lord's work through our faith promise giving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge it gives to us and the encouragement that we find as we think about our faith promise giving. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us as your people as Lighthouse Baptist Church to give sacrificially 
that we might see fruit abound to our account. That we might please you in this grace also. So Lord, just help us. May we glorify you in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.